Hello and welcome to House of Fire and Blood, the podcast where we ask, what if George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood were told more like HBO's show, House of the Dragon? My name is Gretchen, and I am here with Caroline. Hi, everybody. Um, And we are continuing our read through the chapter called The Sons of the Dragon. This is section two. It is the next 10 pages from last time. So we started on page 62 and we read through 73. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to be talking more about uh, Aenys and Maegor and And Reyna. how much they loved each other. They were just the bestest friends. And Reyna was so straight. She was the straightest. Oh, my God. She didn't you. Did you hear she had sex with a hedge knight? She had sex with a hedge knight that one time, remember? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a septon? <laughs> or maybe or maybe anyone, any man. <laughs> any her, man. She, she definitely, definitely did. <laughs> oh, we love to see it. <laughs> All right, yeah. so starting out with our, our summary of this section. Mm-hmm. Uh, so wouldn't you know that when you conquer a land, sometimes shortly thereafter it rebels again? Whoopsie what? doodles. Whoopsie. What? <laughs> and basically the continent starts, uh, uh, different areas on Westeros start to rebel and, uh, you know, fight back. They apparently think that King Anus is weak and um, they, I think there's an interesting line where they indicate that people were talking about how the dragons were keeping everyone in chains. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting because the previous chapters were like, the conquest of Westeros, uniting Westeros, Aegon the Conqueror united everyone together and people loved him and cheered his name and praised him and all this stuff. And it's like shortly after his death, they immediately start rebelling. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't you yep. know that being, you know, conquering someone by force, um, maybe not the most popular thing to do. They might resent it just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um. So the Lords of Westeros, what I like is that in the quote right before the one that you were just talking about, is that the, the Lords of Westeros are mad that they can't tax people anymore. <laughs> like, they're like, um, uh, what do they say? Lords recalled a time when they did not need a king's leave to tax their small folk or kill their enemies. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm so sad for you. You can't just like you know, tax people exorbitantly and just, like, right. kill whoever you want. Oh, <laughs> you lost your, your power. It's so hard. Sorry. It's so hard for them. It's so hard being them, Gretchen. You don't understand. They, just, the, they are suffering. They just want to tax people and kill people. What's the problem? It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. So they do. They decide to rebel. Um, mm-hmm. And we get kind of, like, a repeat of some of the battles that we talked about and I believe it was episode two. Mm-hmm. Um, the wars of the conquest where we've got like the iron islands and the riverlands uh specifically the area around heron hall um we've got dorn and the vale so like those mm-hmm. are like four of the major like seats where like we saw battles happening mm-hmm. um and they're coming up again right they're resisting again but this time it's king anus and king right. anus is having a hard time deciding what to do and yep. he he like plans certain invasions, then cancels them, and like won't go places with his dragon, and is like reticent to fight, basically. And uh, Visenya is apparently in the background, like you know, why aren't you being a man? Go burn things <laughs> to the ground, you know. Uh huh. Supposedly. A- supposedly, and Anus is like, nah. And uh, yeah, and so this this, uh, this divide between Anus and Mager 
Megor continues to mm-hmm. build, where Megor is like, I am the strong one, and I am the violence, and I do the sword swing. I should rule. Yep. So that, that kind of gets dragged out in this section as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're going to dive a little bit more into kind of the, the the dichotomy that's happening between those, the way that both of them use power. Mm-hmm. Um, Dorne comes up again as another, like, Woo! seat of gets the most page time mm-hmm. um, for resistance. Uh, it is uh, less successful, um, but it's now with Daria instead of Maria. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, sometimes I'm just like, George. Do Listen. you not know how to? I mean, look, he comes up with a lot of names. It's like hundreds of names. I can't entirely fault him. And some of them are Bob. I mean, like, you <laughs> some, know. Of them are Bob. <laughs> some of them he doesn't come up with at all. He just pulled them out of, like, probably his friends and his immediate vicinity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's the Vulture King. So we're going to talk about Dorne mm-hmm. a bit. Um, Dana, uh, not Dana, Raina continues to be very yes, gay. Um, and we girl. get more characterization for her. Um, and she seems to be making some interesting Rhaenyra-like decisions. Yep. Yep, she does. Um, oh, I love Raina so much. God. Oh, she's the best. That's the adaptation I want. Mm-hmm. Every episode we go through, I'm like, man, I really wish I had this as an adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> they should just make all of it. They should just start the conquest and go forward. I, I, we would watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's basically what happens in this section, fact-wise. So the question is, what was the maester thinking? Um... I feel like we're probably going to dive deeper into the elements of this when we do our, like, full analysis of what we think really happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've got some, like, misogyny and patriarchy brain, um, like we talked about in our last episode. Like, what is strength? What is power? What are the best ways to use it? Mm -hmm. Um, What makes a man under feudalist patriarchy, quote unquote, weak? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a big thing that the maester is dealing with. Um... And he's got but, a yeah. lot of, a lot, this, this section especially, a lot of, like, direct quotes, quote-unquote, from people, uh, with no citations whatsoever. That's what I, I when you pointed that out, that was so fascinating to be like, yeah, he's just, like, he throwing just put, quotes in. He just, like, Visenya said this shit, and, and Magor said this shit, and then, like, not even, like, and we know it because the maester was there, or, like, right. and we know it because... A septon was there and wrote it down in a letter to somebody. It's like a lot of times this maester will do is like he'll substantiate his source or he'll try to, mm-hmm. but just nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. Just like she definitely said this because she's so spooky scary, you know. Uh huh. And just wanting you to just take it at base value, and it's just probably made yep. up. So yeah, and we've talked about that in previous episodes, but I think one thing that we really should do is like every time he says he's directly quoting someone, to just kind of be like, are you? Right, are you? Did they really say that? Like, how how do we know? Like, I think the only way to really trust a direct quote from someone would be, like, if you were quoting something that person wrote. Yes. Like, if that, like, like sometimes he'll quote, like, a ma- another maester's book or something like that, or, like, a letter. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're quoting something somebody wrote down, then I got, then yeah, sure. But, like, right. is, even as soon as you get to the maester wrote down what he heard, you're getting into... Kind of <laughs> sticky territory there with like okay what, what what did you hear how did you interpret what you heard you know right. that kind of stuff right is what you heard actually what the person said or is that what you thought they said mm-hmm. exactly are you misinterpreting what they meant you know are you is are you maybe a queen who's listening to your husband dying and hearing him mumble about Aegon being the true ruler and misinterpreting yes. what happened you know yes oh my god that's such a good comparison <laughs> Because that's such a clear example of, like, mm-hmm. she doesn't have enough context to know what he's talking about. And here's 
something that makes sense to her, but she's wrong. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about what we think really happened in these Uh various shenanigans in this this part. Yeah, one thing that I thought was really interesting is that um, we have these, like, four rebellions, right? There are, like, mm-hmm. four that I mentioned here. And it was interesting to, to me that of the four that Martin chose, there is at least one that represents each of the, like, original conquerors, where they were the mm-hmm. primary actor in subduing this or attempting to subdue this area. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, interesting. And he didn't, and he didn't that, yeah. have to. He didn't have to pick, like, the Vale, which mm-hmm. is where Visenya conquered, and then Magor comes back and subdues the Vale. Mm-hmm. Or Dorne, which is where Rhaenys went and failed. Mm-hmm. Um, or Harrenhal, which is explicitly, like, we don't know if Rhaenys and Visenya were there, but we do know Aegon was there, mm-hmm. and we do know that explicitly in this section, someone says, hey, how about you do what your dad did? Hey, Aenys, why don't you get on... Quicksilver mm-hmm. and burn Hall again, just like your dad did. That there, yeah. like it feels like Martin is doing something with like revisiting areas that were conquered and then like explicitly associating some of like the kids with mm-hmm. like the wars that their parents are fighting, like literally inheriting their parents' wars. Right, and I think that's interesting that you brought up the Hall thing. We could talk about that one first, um, because per the text, it was Visenya who says to Aenys, "Hey, get on your dragon and go burn Hall. Uh-huh. And and Aedes is like, ah, and he kind of like flounders for a like bit. It. He's like, I don't think it's a good idea. And this kind of goes into what we are talking about in our last episode was um, that Visenya is like trying to influence him to be more martial, to take mm-hmm. care of things like this. Right. And it he's he was trained by Aegon, who wasn't focused on this like being a possibility, really. Mm-hmm. Um. And the fact that it's like, I think this gives more credence to the idea that a lot of the military moves during the conquest were decided by Visenya and Rhaenys, yeah. as opposed to being decided by Aegon. Mm-hmm. Because think about it, if Aenys was raised by Aegon, primarily, right? if it had been Aegon who was like the big military commander person, he would mm-hmm. have imbued that in his son, right? He would have right. taught his son those things. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. He right. didn't. And Aenys does not express those that intelligence or that that knowledge rather of having right. been taught that because he wasn't because it wasn't Aegon making those decisions it was the sisters mm-hmm. so I think yeah, it's really think important right. to see like the way Anus acts the way Anus acts is the way Aegon would have acted absent his dragon wives I agree yep yeah and I think that what we got from when Aegon dealt with the Iron Islands is is another really good place where we can point to really strong evidence that like when he's in the Iron Islands and he, like, he conquers and he's just kind of like, I don't know, do whatever you want. Yeah, pick somebody. Pick somebody. Yeah. I don't want to make that decision. Yeah. And, like, we get, consistently, we get Aenys having that kind of reaction to things to be like, I don't really know if I can make this decision. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know how. Like, he's not decisive. He's right. an indecisive king. And that's, you know, part of the perception of him being, quote, unquote, a weak king um, is that he's... It's not just that he's not martial, but mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's primarily how the maester views it is like, he's not fighting things. He's, so he's weak. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that in my opinion, what makes him like a less effective ruler is that he's indecisive. Yes. I could. He doesn't agree. know how to just mm-hmm. like commit to a choice. Right. And do it. And, and do it. And, and I it think does, it's because Aegon never had to do that because his sisters did it for him. 
Yes! Like, Aegon never learned how to be decisive, and so when he's teaching his son how to be a ruler, he doesn't know how to teach his kid to be decisive. He just teaches his kid to be peaceful. Yes. And, like, to right. maintain the peace no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that we see very strongly in Aenys, that he doesn't want to engage in these fights and he doesn't want to be violent. Which is not a bad thing, but it's the, the indecisiveness for a king. It's mm-hmm. kind of rough, buddy. <laughs> like, right. I, that's right. not your and role. I think- Part of what we're seeing is how important it is that you don't just have one person. You don't just have power consolidated in one person. Yep. Because depending on the kind of person that is can, like, determine how the country goes. That if mm-hmm. you've consolidated power in a single person and that person is indecisive, mm-hmm. stuff like this happens. But if you consolidate power in someone who is, like, aggressive and violent, mm-hmm. things are bad in a whole other way. Right. Exactly. But, but this is why you maybe, just shouldn't have a single person in charge. Maybe absolute power corrupts absolutely. Have you considered this theme? Have you considered monarchy is bad? Maybe monarchy is bad. <laughs> so one thing that's uh, happening in, in the river. So Hiram the Red is the guy who um, rebels in, at Harrenhal in the Riverlands. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because it's like, he is a rebel and he is bad or whatever. But... He actually, like, does some good stuff. So throughout Westeros, they're they're practicing the Rite of the First Knight, which is this horrible mm. practice that doesn't have actual medieval uh, context. Like, in real life, was this a thing that people I did? I don't know, but I am skeptical. It feels like the kind of thing that modern, um, that, like, modern people would come up with to be like, wow, yes, things were so barbaric back in the days. Yeah. Well, in I Westeros, the, the gist is that, like, a lord has the right to to rape his and any woman who's like getting married in his lands. Like right. he gets to have her first night, that's where the name comes from. Um and we'll see later in Fire and Blood it gets outlawed, though a few lords still practice it as of a song of ice and fire. But back at, at this time of history, everybody was allowed to practice it. It sounds like it was one of those things that was like you were allowed to practice it, but like most people didn't. Most people didn't. Yeah. It just it wasn't like illegal. Just right. it wasn't common. Right. And it's so interesting because, so at this point, there's a guy called, uh, who gets known as Gargan the Guest, who shows up, he's awful, awful lord, he shows up at every wedding to practice the rite of the first night. So, like, it's just this awful, like, the entire area that he rules over, these women are subjected to him and his violence. And Harren the Red, part of his rebellion is killing this guy, or is, mm-hmm. is gelding him and killing this guy. Which is like, good, <laughs> great. I'm glad you did that because this guy, that guy is should awful. probably not be in charge, right? Like that sounds like a terrible lord. And what's interesting about this part of the text is that the maester acknowledges that very clearly that Gargan the guest was a bad dude, but that this practice mm-hmm. of doing the right of first night was a bad thing. Right. Um, but later, as we'll see with, when we get to the dance, they the maester relies on the right of the first night to explain the dragon seeds. Mm-hmm. And well, you know, we'll get there many episodes from now. The maester at that time says, like, uh, women loved the right of the first night because they would sleep. The Targaryens would sleep with them, and they'd have magic babies. Right. And like, just the <laughs> the the lens, <laughs> the bias. The Targaryen exceptionalism in that is just oh, like my it's God. fine if like the pretty dragon lords do it. The ladies love it when the beautiful dragon lords do it. Mm-hmm. It's just because this guy was was ugly and gross. Right. But it's wrong. Exactly. So, I mean, and again, this is a reminder, like we've talked about the fact that the Targaryens didn't change these local customs when they came. They could have. 
mm-hmm. but they didn't. They let this abuse continue to happen, right. um, which, you know, because it didn't affect them, basically. That's what right. it came down to. Right, but this this rebellion in particular feels very much like it is the product of a failure on the side of the Targaryens. Mm-hmm. That, like, when we talked about in um, our episode where we talked about, like, the Targaryens did not make any effort to uproot any of, like, the existing patriarchal practices. That, mm-hmm. like, if if you don't do that, you're going to end up with something like this. Right, exactly. That, like, if you don't make... If you want to conquer, but, like, maybe don't make the world, the society more just in doing so when you have the power to do it, mm-hmm. um, you might get some people, like, you might, you're going to have continued injustice, and then some people who live in that might be like, well, fuck that. I don't want that to happen anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I feel like this is one that, like, feels less... It's interesting that the maester puts this first after he said, like, the lords resented... That they couldn't tax and kill people. And then the first rebellion is like, no, it was just some guy who was, who like thought that his lord was a, was a violent asshole. And he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Like being like gross and patriarchal and Hair in the Red was like, fuck that guy. He shouldn't exist. I wonder if it's a way to kind of also counterbalance the fact that, that Aenys took so long to respond. Because the problem with the mm-hmm. Harrenhal thing is that. Anus took forever to get yes. his shit together to go take care of it. Mm-hmm. But, like, also... And, like, I think it was, like, by, by the time Anus gets there, it's, like, the people had already been killed inside or some such thing. They but left. They, or, like, like yeah, like, yeah. like, Heron the Red, like, murdered a bunch of people. And went to and the then, woods. And then went into the woods, kind of like right. Dorne. Like, he, right. he took a page out of Dorne's playbook and was like, okay, well, what I need to do is get, get the but, hell out of here. But it's okay. Hide. It's okay if he did that if all the people he killed were, like, this gross guy and his yes. buddies yeah so i also wonder if like there isn't there isn't still a targaryen slant there where it's like well anus took a while but like it's okay because like the guy that was killed was like shitty and his buddies were mm-hmm. shitty too so it's okay you know right but they do eventually how do they put down the riverlands i forget i just read this yesterday they eventually get they take they they do something and they take it back so um it looks like, so Hair in the Red, um, like, they tracked him down to a village near the God's Eye, and then um, there was just, like, a battle where, like, he killed the king's hand, um, mm-hmm. and then he was in turn killed. So eventually just, like, a bunch of lords um, took care of it, yeah. Took care of it, but Aenys did not. Um, no, no dragons involved. No dragons involved. And that's a thing. Like, the only time a dragon is involved is in the Vale. Yeah. In these rebellions, which is really interesting. And like, it's it's what dragon is it? Do you remember? It's Valerian. It's Valerian. So let's let's talk about the veil then. So there's a rebellion yes. in the veil. Um the the king that flew gets thrown out of the moon door, whoopsie doodle. Uh he actually flew. Again. He did. Well, uh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> uh and his young so he gets usurped by his younger brother. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. so interesting. Uh, that's actually you no know, something we should put a pin in that because that's that's another of these brother dichotomies. Yeah, where, but the younger brother actually usurps the older brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the veil's like we're impregnable and you can't get us. Ha ha ha! And Mager <laughs> shows up and Mager's like lo 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 lo. I'm on Balerion and he flies uh-huh. in and uh, kills everyone. <laughs> right. Oh, but yeah, we hadn't we hadn't brought this up in the last episode that like. Um... 
that he had been rejecting that Magor had rejected all of the newborn hatchlings. Yes, they had been trying to give a newborn hatchling. He was waiting for his dad to die. He was to take literally his dad like, dragon. Yep. Totally like Aemond Targaryen in House of the Dragon vibes, where he's like, yep. I want the coolest dragon. I don't want any of these baby hatchlings. I am Question. saving myself for the coolest dragon. Yes. Question. Because this is a question I have throughout. Do you think Magor waited for Dad to die and then mounted Valerian? Or do you think he was maybe flying Valerian just, like, secretly? Ooh. Like, maybe he already knew. Like, maybe because, like, because maybe he already knew he could ride Valerian and therefore he was rejecting the hatchlings. Because otherwise, that's, like, a really big risk Yeah. to uh-huh. wait. Because, like, Aegon, the Conqueror, could have lived to be 80 or 90. He could have been waiting this whole time. Uh-huh. And, and... Magor could have missed out entirely on a dragon if he didn't put the hatchling young enough. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, I feel like people might have noticed, but if Balerion is on Dragonstone mm-hmm. and Aegon is on Dragonstone a lot, I wonder if it's possible that, like, if people saw Balerion flying around, they just assumed it's Aegon. Right. Because who else would be riding Balerion? Or if he even just flew him to places where, like, people aren't at. Like, there's all right. kinds of places in the gullet where there's just, like... Right. I mean, there's parts of Dragonstone where, like, whole other dragons live later on where people just don't go. Yeah. You know, I can see that. a pretty big enough island. Uh-huh. So I think that'd be really interesting if he was doing, like, nighttime rides on Balerion. You know, he took Dad's car out for a spin, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because there's this, like, the, the magic concept is... A sp- a single person is magically bonded to the dragon. But right. if we're questioning that fundamental premise, mm-hmm. then why right. can't there be multiple writers at any given time? Right. Right. And like, clearly you can have someone, I guess, driving, if we're going to use the car analogy, you can have <laughs> someone driving and a passenger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. And that, I mean, I feel like, it, that could go either way. But I, like, coming from our perspective, I'm like, right, well, if the dragon really only cared about having one rider, then, like, why would it be okay with a passenger? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could say, like, well, because the actual magical special, yeah, you know, bonded person is there. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. It could okay. be. Yeah. Maybe. But, yeah, no, I like the idea that he's taking Balerion out for a spin every night. I think that makes more sense because it's such a risk to otherwise reject dragon after dragon. Right. If you're not right. even and sure then, you'll be able to ride this one. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, he claims Balerion, um, goes to the Vale, um, does a Visenya 2.0. Where, except he kills everybody. Except he kills everyone. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so he initially, it looks like he's going to like do the same thing his mom did. is just like show up on Balerion and, the, and everyone there's like, Ah, here you go. Here's the prisoners. Yeah, we remember Please don't kill us. dragons, exactly. <laughs> we remember what happened, la- you know, what could happen last time. And he's like, mm-hmm. cool. Thanks for the political prisoners. They're dead now. Also, the entire garrison. Everyone's going to die. And allegedly he hangs them from, like, outside the Eyrie. Mm-hmm. So, so it doesn't, he doesn't use the dragon for dragon fire purposes. No. He just uses it for, like, lol, you think we can't break in. JK, JK. Right. So, um, good times. Good times. So, uh, we now we know get... that, like, okay, so one tiny point. I will say, I mm-hmm. feel like this fits into our theory that Magor is making his own decisions about violence that are yeah. not from his mom. Yeah. 
Because if mm-hmm. he were doing what his mom, like just kind of doing what his mom said, mm-hmm. I don't think he would have done this. Well, that's an interesting question though, because Visenya tried it the peaceful way and it didn't work. Well, it did work. So, well, it didn't work because they ultimately rebelled. So I wonder what Visenya would think about it if Visenya had been the one to land there with Vagar, if she would have done some killing too. As like, it's like, cause like, come on, I fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? Like, mm-hmm. she already did the peaceful way, and mm. they rebelled, and so I, I, well, different I, people rebelled. Ronald Aaron was was loyal. Yeah, Ronald, the one that was installed was loyal, it was and his they younger killed brother. him. They killed yeah. him, right? So it's like, it, I mean, they they chose violence. I guess is the way to say, <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't know, but I, I think that's definitely a good question. Is how much is, I mean, Magor is there by himself. Visenya is not there with him. Right. So if it was a decision made there, then mm-hmm. yeah, then he is making his own decisions about violence. Right. Uh, I don't know how Visenya would have felt about it. Right. But, I mean, Visenya may very well have been really upset because she knew Jonas as a child. Right. I mean, the last time she met him, as far as we know, was when he was a kid and she took him riding on a dragon. And it's like, they killed him. They threw him out of the moon where he died a horrible death. Mm-hmm. And she might have felt, like, emotions about that. Right, And right. almost like a little vengeance about that. That's true. We do know that Visenya and Aegon both had um, grief reactions that involved violence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you have to get revenge, okay? Right. Um... <laughs> So that takes us to Lodos the Lodos! Twice Drowned. I love Lodos. Where's the line? I love the, the Maester is so cheeky about Lodos. So <laughs> Lodos is supposedly a guy. He like comes, walks out of the ocean. And he's like, I'm Lodos. I went to talk to my dad, the drowned god, and now I'm back. <laughs> Which is just the best. I love the concept of this con man being like, I fucking know what the best thing I'm going to do. I'm going to pretend to be Lodos. Uh-huh. No one's yep. gonna know if I am, because they like they can't prove it one way or another. But I'm just gonna pretend that I am, uh-huh. and I'm gonna take over. And it totally works for a while. It does. But the maester calls him, um, in the Goran Greyjoy, Lord Reaper of Pike, brought quote unquote King Lodos parentheses the second of his name to a similar <laughs> swift end, and it's just like oh, <laughs> like the the way that the maester's just like oh. Lotus the second. Like even the Maester is like, this is clearly not magic. This is yeah, clearly yeah, bullshit. Definitely we tricked you. Yeah, definitely. There's no way you. that that dude just like walked out of the ocean. No, no. Now the magic Targaryens, yes. But yes. magic magic drowned man, absolutely too far fetched. Can't possibly be true. So I do love me some Lotus. <laughs> um the Greyjoy that, that ruled there puts down Lodos, and mm-hmm. Anus makes a bad decision. The first of many terrible decisions he makes about the faith. Yeah. He just... So he says to, to the Greyjoy, yo, that was so dope of you to take care of that for me. Uh, I'll give you anything you want, bud. Uh, and Greyjoy goes, cool, can we expel all the Septons and Septas and all that like faith in the Get your religion crap. off my islands. We want to be the drowned god only, please. And and the text says like Anus had no choice but to agree. And it's mm-hmm. like Anus, 
you're a king with a dragon. What are you talking about? You can do whatever you want. You could have said no. You could have said, nah, man, I can't do that. What else do you want? Yeah. Like, you could have been like, no, but I can give you, like, gold. Or, but like, he wants everyone to like him, Caroline. He doesn't want to fight. It's it's like, he had no choice but to agree. Like, yes, you did have a choice, man. Uh-huh. Like, believe in yourself. Have confidence. Right. Be willing to have not everyone like you. Right. It's fine. Um, but yeah, that is one so, of the very bad decisions he makes about the church. Yep, some very bad decisions, um, which we I think we're going to come back to that. Um, and that brings us to the Vulture King, which is, you know, we're going back down to Dorne, where um, Rhaenys and Aegon, to some degree, because Aegon was the first one who tried to invade Dorne. Like, he tried to invade Dorne and, like, utterly, everyone mm-hmm. utterly failed. Yes. Um, and uh, this time, they're successful. Um, though they really hate the Dornish. Mm-hmm. We get some more real gross... Um, some real gross racism about how bad they smell, that yep. they are undisciplined and unwashed, and um, and yet these uh, I really love. I feel like the maester is like a little bit skeptical because it's because he says not long after that self same rabble stormed and seized his castle of Blackhaven. Yep. <laughs> so I feel like the maester's even like, come on. Okay, I mean, they're not actually rabble though. Yeah, they were like, 30,000 strong. They are actually strong. disciplined. It yes. was a big group of 30,000 strong. Yeah. So the Vulture King is a, is a rebel, but what's interesting is that Daria Martell, the actual princess of Martell, continues to deny the, like deny him and say, like, no, this is bad, and say she's not involved. Yes. And there's never any proof she is involved. The text kind of suggests that like people thought she was involved. What do you think? Do you think Daria was or was not involved with the Vulture King? My instinct says no, precisely because they lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'll be honest. Like, I feel like that if Daria had been supporting the Vulture King, they would have been more successful. Yeah, I agree. I think that, that like, it also would just be so... Like, what would be the point? Yeah. Because uh-huh. Dorne was still independent. Yes. So it wasn't like the other... Like, the other areas were rebelling to, like, try to regain their independence and their freedom from the throne. But Dorne mm-hmm. was independent. There was no reason. There was nothing to rebel against. Right. Yep. So, so like, what's... Why would she do that? She has Rhaenys in the dungeon somewhere or as a prisoner, we think. Um, so she has no reason to fight them. Because mm-hmm. she has the thing already to control them. Right. So, you know. Yeah, I, I can't think of what... What the official royal house would gain by, mm-hmm. like, being involved. Like, so let's put it this way. Clearly, based on the other, you know, rebellions, it seems pretty clear that the only, like, that, like, Aenys is not going to mount an effective response in a mm-hmm. timely way. Um, That if they had, you like... I'm imagining all of the tactics tactics from the first Dornish War, if they had been utilized here, even more successful. Mm-hmm. Because they like because like Aenys is not willing to field his dragon. Right. Um, I mean, I guess Magor could have. Magor could have fielded his dragon. Mm-hmm. And and Visenya, Magor and Visenya could have fielded their dragons, but like Visenya doesn't seem to be all that involved. From what no. we know, from what the text says, Visenya doesn't seem to be all that involved in any of the fighting. Well, what's interesting about the text about on her is that it, there's one part where it says that 
because Aenys was so slow, some lords acted independently and some lords acted in concert with the Dowager Queen. So it says that, but then in describing all four rebellions does not indicate that she was involved at all. Right. right. So we don't know where where her influence was or wasn't. Right. And it is interesting that she never takes the field. With Vagar. With Vagar. Yeah. And she could yeah. have. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't. And like and like you said when you were talking about the veil, like Magor fields Balerion, but like doesn't actually utilize the dragon in what the dragon is you know, most known for, which is like mm-hmm. burning things. Yeah. I um, wonder why that is. I wonder yeah, why it is that Visenya wouldn't go out there with Vagar because like that's what a great tool. I mean I guess I guess part of it is there's a difference between putting down a rebellion versus conquering a land. Right. Like, I feel like if you do, like, a field of fire situation to, like, a place you already rule that's just rebelling, mm-hmm. that's a that's worse optics than right. the initial conquest. Because, mm-hmm. like, these are their people at this point, right? The, Aegon right. lived to be 60, so he ruled, what, 30-ish years? Mm-hmm. It's been decades that they've ruled these lands at this point, so... Right. They probably don't want to be as violent as they've right. been in the past. And and are, probably, I would assume, these rebellions are smaller in scale than the full-scale um, offenses, de- defenses put on with, during the initial conquest. Right. Right. And I feel like it, it points to potentially that Visenya is not quite as, like, power-hungry as this text depicts her as. Mm-hmm. Because if she were, what a perfect opportunity to field both herself and Magor. Right. And to be like, look, we're saving the realm. Right. We're saving the realm. We're the real people that should be ruling. My son is the one. Look at him on his dragon. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah. To like prove themselves, you know, quote unquote, prove themselves as the more effective leaders. Like here are like, Aenys is clearly indecisive and that his indecisiveness is ineffective in actually, you know, he rarely makes, he rarely turns the tide. Right, in, exactly. In putting down any of these imbe- like rebellions, I don't think he ever does. Yeah, turn the I don't tide. Think so either. Turn the tide. So what a perfect time if if Visenya really is this like bloodthirsty, power hungry. I desperately want to put my kid on the throne instead of mm-hmm. Aenys. Why not do it right now? Right. This is the perfect time because she doesn't really want to. Right. I mean, that's, that's like, it. Yes. I love this Visenya character that we're developing. That she's like that. She's nothing like this whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's exactly like like House of the Dragon with Ray- Rhaenyra. Yes. It's the exact same kind of treatment, and, and I'm very here for it. I'm very, very here for it. So they put down, let's see, so they do Harrenhal, that's the Riverlands, they do the Vale, they do Dorne, and the Iron Islands. Okay, so they take care Iron of all Islands. four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the Vulture King thing kind of dissipates because the, the armies are just better from... I, I think it's Oris Baratheon that goes out, right? And Yes. Oris Baratheon does this, like crazy violent thing that i do kind of love where he captures the son of the man who cut off his hand and cuts off the son, all of the sons like his hands and his feet and uh says that that's like um that's like a tax uh-huh. for the time that he uh since then and uh oris baratheon dies on the way back from like a wound or something like that but um his son davos baratheon says davos that his father died with a smile on his face as the hands and feet of his enemy uh, hung were hung from his, rotted on a string in his tent, like a string of onions. Yeah. That's what he says. 
Dav- you've, like, got, you've got a Davos. Davos and onions. I know. And onions <laughs> and a Baratheon. And a Baratheon. Ugh. And then like a couple of sentences later, we get a Samwell Tarly, Lord Samuel of Tarly. Hornhill. Sam the Savage, he's known yeah. as. Savage Sam. And I'm like, like Sam the Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if that was like a teensy bit of shade. Because on, like on what? Um yeah, as like you and Kylie and Julia pointed out, I, I can't remember if, if you were hosting at that point that like Game of Thrones like super leans into like Sam talking about himself as Sam the Slayer. Mm-hmm. And in the book, people call him Sam the Slayer and he's like, Ooh, I don't like he's it. He's like, please don't call me that. Yeah. Please don't call me that. I'm not Sam the Slayer. That mm-hmm. like I was wondering, I was like, is this a little bit of like shade of Martin being like, No, no, this is the actual Savage Sam. Yeah. Like, not that other one. He's not it's, Sam the Slayer. He doesn't want to be definitely, called that. It's definitely a parallel. Like, it's yeah. definitely, it's like to show you, like, that, like, this family that you will know from A Song of Ice and Fire started like this. Mm-hmm. And, like, look at this crazy motherfucker who was over here called savagely slaying people and, like, doing crazy shit. Like, oh, absolutely. I don't know if it was, like, just to draw a parallel or... Mm-hmm. or what exactly but yeah yeah there's it's even like a reference. character called no nose dundarian and i was like okay so dundarian is also a character that we recognize but no nose sounds like Tyrion. so like this particular section of 10 pages i just feel like martin is like left and right like throwing out little tight those tiny little like oh recognize this name recognize that name yeah exactly like throwing them all out absolutely Um, so next we have our girl Reyna, who <sighs> still her. gay. <laughs> God, I love her so much. She's so good. I know. So she has a, a new girlfriend in this section, Elaine Royce. Um, and there's an interesting bit in the text where the text describes Elaine Royce as, quote, plump and homely. And my first thought when I read this was, is this code for, like, she's not traditionally feminine in the way men would like? And, like, sort of, like... Does she look like a lesbian, basically? Not that there's like one not that there's one way to look like a lesbian. Lesbians look lots of different ways. But there are also certain things that uh-huh. some, sometimes you look at somebody and you're like, that's a lesbian, and, and you're correct. So I'm wondering if like the description of her as being homely is like right. maybe she was like a more masculine woman. And right. to and the Maester's like, ugh, like she's not attractive. But like maybe What's she's the- attractive to Reyna. At the very least, like, it sounds like it's at the very least code for not performing traditional femininity. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Which I think could be more mask, or it could just be, like, she doesn't care to look super feminine. (laughs) Right. Like, maybe maybe she has, like, shorter hair or something, or, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe she's, like, also wearing pants. Spooky scary. Pants. (laughs) Women wearing pants. Not spooky, scary pants. Um, you know, I, I, I just, wonder, I yeah. really like that Reyna seems to have a wide diversity of interests in women. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you and I, you know, you and I have both read further ahead. So we know that she eventually has other girlfriends, but like a lot of her girlfriends are described in very different ways. And I, yeah. I like that, that like Martin is giving her kind of like diverse tastes that he's mm-hmm. not just like, oh, she's super into the same kinds of women that the patriarchy finds attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, that just feels like another way of saying, right, when you are when you exist outside of, like, heteronormativity, mm-hmm. you are open to more kinds of people being attractive. 
because yes. you're less committed to like or she's just like a, really a fuckboy lesbian and just like likes <laughs> to get around i mean that, yeah. that could be it too she could just be like whatever probably are not a whole lot of options right exactly she could be like hey if you're down i'm down like whatever if you're down i'm down yes anyone <laughs> anyone um, anytime anywhere <laughs> Yeah, oh, and this is the section where the maester included, like, the gossip that, like, Reyna apparently lost her maiden head to just some random dude. Oh, definitely. That's what she was, that's where she was going when she was flying her dragon off mysterious places. She was going to go fuck some uh-huh. guy. Definitely, definitely getting that D all over the place, Reyna yep. Targaryen. <laughs> yeah, it was whispered, though never proved, that on one of the flights, one of these flights, um... Where she, because she likes to fly. As soon as she turns sixteen, she's like, "I can fly wherever I want." Mm-hmm. So on one of she these got her flights, license. yeah, 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 she got a driver's license. <laughs> she got a driver's license. <laughs> she surrendered the flower of her maiden head to a lowborn lover. Oh, really hate all of the terminology around virginity in the in these stories. A hedge knight. One story had it. Others named him a singer, a blacksmith's son, a village septon. Like that they're literally just like some dude, any dude any doesn't dude. matter just please a dude she it definitely, definitely had sex with a man before she married her brother 100% definitely oh man was not just fucking women for years oh but that's the next big thing that Raina just mentioned Raina has to get gets married to her brother her mm-hmm. uh, younger brother Aegon and they seem fine with it. They're not. There's no. Yeah, like, they're close. Her they seem like to be that. good yeah. buddies. She takes him flying on on her dragon. Yeah. Aegon seems to like Dreamfire, like mm-hmm. riding Dreamfire with her, which is cute. And um, that's it. Yeah. Um. Oh no! There's the part where like they so they go out on parade because they get married and the and the faith gets mad because the faith right. is strategically decided that now is the time to resist the Targaryen exceptionalism about incest it's really interesting actually you point that out in, in light of the way the rebellions were handled mm-hmm. that the dragons were not used yes and now the faith is like ah ha ha mm-hmm. there is unrest in westeros yeah. Yeah. and people probably will side with us on this issue because yep. incest is gross and you shouldn't marry your sister mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, the faith does selectively say, "Wait a wait a second, <laughs> incest is bad. We don't like it." Right? Yeah, because we talked about um, earlier wondering, like, well, why doesn't the faith of the seven like they clearly don't like incest? Like, why don't why aren't they saying anything when Aegon about Aegon and Visenya and Rhaenys? Mm-hmm. And at the time, we were like, "Well, I mean, probably because Aegon and Visenya and Rhaenys were like, well, we got dragons, so right, we'll just burn you down. Yeah, we'll just burn you down, and." The fact that they've not fielded any dragons in putting mm-hmm. down any of these rebellions, I think you're right to point to, like, it makes sense that the faith would be like, oh, well, if they're mm-hmm. not if they're not fielding any dragons, mm-hmm. well, maybe we can start to regain some of the power that we had lost. Plus, I think you have to, we have to think about the fact that timeline-wise, the people who are alive now, who are adults making these decisions largely were not the people who were alive during the conquest yep right so these would be and the text even mentions like the sons of people who were killed during the conquest wanting yes. revenge and some of like that yep um so since the dragons weren't fielded during the rebellions they might not really have an idea of the destructive power because mm-hmm. they haven't seen it right and like 
that being like it's no longer a deterrent because you're not still doing it mm-hmm. right 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 so they go on procession they go the on procession they marry they marry Raina and Aegon they go on procession they're like look at our cool cute little couple everywhere they go it's like yo fuck you like we're not gonna like this is an abomination the septon from the starry sept is like the abomination king or something <laughs> king abomination he like, he like tweets out like a really mean tweet about how mm-hmm. this king is like awful um he declares him a pretender and a tyrant with no right to rule the seven oof, kingdoms oof, he's getting oof. real spicy damn damn oh man uh-huh. uh and, and I love that Aenys is like, maybe if I just write them a letter that explains yeah. that we've done this for a really long time, then they'll be okay with it. And the Septon's right. like, fuck no. you, no, King Abomination. You don't get to sit on the throne. <laughs> and I can just imagine, like, Aenys going, what? And I thought like, I was supposed to be nice to them. <laughs> but I explained what happened. Why don't they love me? I don't understand. Uh-huh. And then when they're on procession at some point, um, Reyna wanted to bring her dragon, but... Because uh, she's smart. Because she's smart. And who is it that tells her not to? Is it her dad? Aenys. Aenys is like, no, no. And it's literally because he's like, well, but if you're riding a dragon and Aegon is riding on his horse, he's going to look unmanly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So you can't bring your dragon because he might look unmanly. And at no point was anyone like, well, they could both ride both the dragon. Both ride the dragon! What the? Yes! <laughs> also, who cares if he looks unmanly if you are, like, um, not getting, like, dirt thrown at you and being name-called? But I think this has to do with the fact, again, that Aenys was raised by Aegon. Yes. And Aegon, seen, Aegon the Conqueror had... I don't think he had, like, a lot of the misogyny that, like, lit, like others in Westeros have, given, like, mm-hmm. the way he ruled with his sisters. But I think he had a pretty straightforward and basic understanding of masculinity. Yeah. And because Aenys did not have the influence of Visenya to kind of make him question that, mm-hmm. this, this, is, this is it. It's like, dragon big, dragon manly. Woman cannot be more manly than king. You know, very straightforward. <laughs> And that's really unfortunate because I think if he had had the influence of Visenya, he would have been markedly right. different as a king. Right. Markedly I agree. Different. And this is a point where we're starting to see Reyna is making some decisions that remind me of Rhaenyra in House of the Dragon. That she's mm-hmm. doing the same kinds of things of like strategic thinking of like, look, there's unrest. Mm-hmm. We don't need to burn everybody, but people need to re- be reminded that we have the power to burn them mm-hmm. if we wanted to. Right, exactly. It, in the same way, like, I keep coming back to that to that decision in House of the Dragon where Rhaenyra's like, well, we don't have to burn Pentos, and we also don't have to just leave them alone. We mm-hmm. could just send a message, but send me on Dragonback, and they will be like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, right. The right. Targaryens have dragons. Right, exactly. Uh, I probably should not piss them off. Yeah. And here we have Reyna at one of the processions. There's people like yelling at them and stuff like that. And she allegedly, I, I like to believe this quote, but allegedly yes. we have no citation for the quote, pulls up her horsey on them. And she's like, you know, you're fine yelling at a girl on a horse, but wait until I come back on a dragon and see what you say. Uh-huh. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. That's right. If she was there on, on uh, Dreamfire, on her, on her My Little Pony, Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be doing any of this shit. Right, right, 
Right. She's definitely like on Twitter being like, oh, you say that because you're safe at home behind your keyboard. And right. Your exactly. Don't you tell can me to that, my face. You can do that from behind a screen. <laughs> <laughs> tell it to my face while I'm sitting on top of my dragon, won't you? Yeah. <laughs> I love her. I also really want to believe this is true. Yeah. Um, because Giving her characterization, I think it. It would make sense that she would say something like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it was a direct quote. I don't know. But like, given things we know about her later and stuff, it does it does track. Right. Right. And it and I feel like we're starting to see some of this is reading what's not there. But mm-hmm. I think I am getting at least the sense that her dynamic with Aegon is reminding me a lot more of Visenya and Rainey's dynamic with Aegon the Conqueror. Because, like, uh-huh. what do we know about Aegon? Aegon, Aegon, the the warrior baby. I'm going to call him the warrior the, baby. The warrior babe. <laughs> the warrior babe. Like, what do we know about him? Literally nothing. Literally nothing. We know that his, that his grandfather said he looked like a warrior when he was a baby, that mm-hmm. he doesn't have his own dragon, and that he seems to enjoy writing Dreamfire, Dreamfire with Reyna. Nothing else. He doesn't do anything. Yeah. He doesn't say anything. He is a non-person. So far, mm-hmm. yeah. in these ten pages, he does absolutely nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> except That's marry true. his older sister and like ride a horse, <laughs> right? And he doesn't have a dragon. No, he doesn't. So strange. Hmm. Even though I'm assuming that Reyna put a dragon in his cradle, right? I don't know how many years older. She's only a few years older than him, so she might have oh. been too young to have started. That's what I was thinking. That she was too young to start. Oh, that did process. she start it with Jaharis and Alisanne? I think she started with Jaharis. I think and she started with Jaharis and Alisanne. Well, yeah. maybe if she had put an egg inside Aegon's cradle, <laughs> come on, the magic dragon bond <laughs> would have made him suddenly have agency and be a this person. Is obviously, the woman's fault. Uh, yeah, I, okay. I, I knew it. I knew it. Uh, um, but she definitely, like, in terms of characterization, like she definitely seems to be like politically minded. She's smart. She's strategic. Um, she's she definitely would, super smart. Yeah, I think we're starting to get the sense that like she probably would be a good ruler, or at least mm-hmm. has aspects to her character that would fit with someone who would be good to have in charge. Yeah, in the same very, way that we saw with Rhaenyra in House of the Dragon. I was about to say very Rhaenyra from House of the Dragon. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, like speaking of like the faith. It is interesting oh. that, like, this is where they're starting to, like, push back. Mm-hmm. They're not labeled as a rebellion. It's interesting. The other thing, the, the one thing I want to point out here is that it's interesting to me that this is not labeled as, like, an official rebellion. Mm-hmm. It, but it, it is. But it totally is. Yeah, but it's, you're absolutely right. It totally is. Yeah. And it leads to, like, a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're not fighting. They're not, mm-hmm. like, field, but, like, they are kind of, like, they're banding the warrior sons together, like, the warrior sons, like, armor the Sept of Remembrance. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the, the, the warrior sons are there on the day that Reyna and Aegon get married, and, like, basically making a mental list of everyone who shows up. there, right, exactly. Oh, my God. Like, they <laughs> are, like, just doing a very subtle rebellion they're trying to gain power they're trying to mm-hmm. consolidate their power as like you know to try and gain it back to gain this, back control and part of it is the marriage of reyna and aegon mm-hmm. but part of it is also gets into our next section which is who gets shafted yes which is some shit magor pulls <laughs> <laughs> so oh. magor as you might recall magor mm-hmm. was married to cerise hightower yes uh but she never gets pregnant as at this point in story. She never gets pregnant by him, right? So he declares she's infertile. 
And in the old Valyrian custom, I, uh, clearly it's her. She's barren. Uh, in the old Valyrian custom, I'm going to take another wife. And that's going to be Alice Haraway, who was, uh, I forget she's the daughter of somebody at court. The she hand, was like around I court. I thought she was the daughter of the hand, but I think that might have been wrong. I put that in the notes, but I think it might be wrong. She's somebody's daughter. And okay. she, um, uh, he's like, I'm going to take her to wife. He brings her to Dragonstone. The sept in there is like, no bueno, I'm not doing this for you. I'm not marrying you. And he goes, no, no big deal. Me, my new wife, and my mom are going to have a Valerian ceremony. And I want to know if Alice got to wear a hat. Mm-hmm. I think she needs to get the chance to wear a hat, just like Rhaenyra did. She's the daughter of the hands. new Lord of Harrenhal, by the way. That's, that's what it is. That's who she was. Perfect. Um, but yeah, I was actually wondering if that note about like Valerian rights um, with like a marriage by blood and fire. Like I was wondering if the people who made House of the Dragon were taking these tiny little bits, like pulled from that was like, okay, we'll make a... Well, we got to make a ritual that's about... But they right. weren't just, like, randomly saying, well, the Targs are super into fire and blood, so they must have fire and blood in their in their wedding. I mean, I, I think it all I think it all goes together. I'm, I mean, sure that the creators of House of the Dragon read the whole book and found these mm-hmm. little tidbits. Um, when we first watched the show, we all said, like, this is hilarious because it looks like a Fire Nation wedding, and it's just silly. Yes, it does. I know it was, and it is, it's silly, and I stand by that. However, I'm beginning to wonder if it is accurate because of thinking about Dragonstone. How, we're going to build a, a castle called Dragonstone. What are we decorating <laughs> with? Dragon. Dragons. Dragons everywhere. Dragons everywhere. We're conquering Westeros. Faith in the Seven. They love the Seven. Fucking Seven Gates. Seven Gates. Seven everywhere. You know, like, now I'm yeah. wondering if the Targaryens just aren't that creative as a family. <laughs> right. They Like, that they really would be the kinds where, like, well, our house words are fire and blood and we have dragons. So, like, so I must include fire have, and blood. Our weddings must include <laughs> blood in them, too. <laughs> but they're just, like, really deeply committed to an aesthetic like so committed it's their entire personality i think which means it is really dorky but also i think you're right that like once you read that description of dragonstone i was like oh yeah these exact these would be the kind of people who would be like people that are very literal like marriage ceremony valyrian fire blood magic we'll cut our yes. lips and make out about it and mix yeah. our blood together and yeah yep, they really we're would. so hardcore look at our cool mm-hmm. dragon castle <laughs> um yeah and you were wondering if maybe there was some kind of romance potentially between Mangle so and Alice? this is what i was thinking in terms of like quite unquestioning the other uh, things going on so i'm trying to like, conceptualize Magor as not an evil supervillain Targaryen. Right. Uh, and I kind of wonder, because he's been married to uh, Cerise Hightower for, like, years and years and years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, for him to suddenly be like, I'm going to take another wife, and it's this particular person, like, I, I picked one already, mm-hmm. makes me think that, like, what if there was an actual, like, romance going on? behind the scenes there like what if they met in some capacity at court or wherever and you know she's now you know in a position where she would encounter him because she's the daughter of a new lord of harrenhal so she's kind of in that courtly life and what if it was something more romantic and it wasn't just like you know i want a random new wife to be a baby of and maybe he was like maybe he fell in love with her or she fell in love with him or maybe they had like an actual romance and he was like well, I'm a Targaryen, so I can have multiple wives. It's fine. Uh-huh. You know, right. Kind, kind of in a, a Rhaegar-y kind of way with uh, our girl Lyanna. Or like, like Damon. 
Or like Damon. Yeah. Damon, who's been married yeah. to um the uh, his wife from Royce. the Vale for yeah. years and years and years, who he, mm-hmm. you know, says some pretty terrible things about. Yeah. And clearly does not like her. Yeah. Um and I mean, there's nothing to even indicate that that Magor didn't like uh Cerise. Cerise. Cerise Cerise. Uh-huh. Cerise. I was yeah, Cerise. Cerise. Uh, like, he's never like, she's awful or whatever. You know, there's there's nothing about, we know very little about her. Right. Um, and, I mean, like, he could very well use the, like, infertility thing as a, like, shield uh-huh. and be like, oh, well, I need a new wife because she's infertile. But, like, the actual motive, like, the only reason he would be really concerned about having children is if he was really genuinely gunning for the throne. Right. And for him to be genuinely gunning for the throne, I think Visenya would have to be genuinely gunning for him to be on the throne. And I don't believe that. Right. You see right. what I'm saying? And yeah, which would mean that he would have to also be, like, planning to murder all of, like, all of his the, brother like, and his all of his brother's kids. Right. Like, we're talking, like, high-level supervillain shit at this point. Right, and I just if, don't think I, I agree with you. I just don't yeah. believe that Magor is that much of a supervillain, or Visenya is. Or I don't Visenya. think that. I don't think that it's like, and obviously, like having children is important for like inheritance and stuff like that. But he's what Prince of Dragonstone temporarily, and then that gets taken from him. So it's like, what he's not like mm-hmm. he's got like lots of lands to inherit, right. or like people that need to be cared for. It's not like he has a bunch of daughters and needs a son mm-hmm. because. He needs him to take care of them or anything like that. He's just like a dude that has no children uh-huh. who's already very powerful and really doesn't doesn't need to extend the family lineage because his brother's already done it. Right. So, you know, what what would what would be the pressure for him to produce an heir otherwise? Right. Right. I, and like the the yeah. text tells us that it's like, well, maybe it's because of because Alyssa was still having baby, Like, that's such a dumb reason. I'm sorry, Maester Gildane. Mm-hmm. But he's like, perhaps it was this continued proof of the queen's fertility that drove Prince Magor to, like, set aside his wife. I'm like, that makes no sense, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you exactly. talking about? Your your brother, the king's wife, is very fertile. And so you decide to have another wife to have mm-hmm. a baby like that? That actually works against it because if your brother, the king's wife, is very fertile and having lots of kids, you are getting pushed further and further down the line of succession. Right, exactly. Your children matter less and less for this. Absolutely. <laughs> it's 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 so bizarre. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't make sense. I, mm. And I kind of, I personally love romance stories. I'm a sucker for that kind of shit. So right. like if I can find a romance story in something, I will. So that that's just like, oh, that's my bias uh-huh. in my lens. But I would kind of, I kind of love the story of, like, the kind of archetypical story of um person in position of power falls in love with someone and, like, either gives up their position of power or, like, does something to kind of upend the system to be with that person. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of archetypical story I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could, there's room in the text for that to have happened here. Right. There's mm-hmm. room in the text for Magor to... Instead of Magor just being evil, being evil, right. for Magor to be someone who is more complicated than that, because he'll—I mean—he's going to do bad shit in the future. We know that, right. uh, but also but, some things that are not really terrible that are actually right. quite interesting. Right, and he there's definitely room for it to be more complicated, like mm-hmm. like what we'll probably see with Rhaenyra going right. forward and the way Rhaenyra acts, uh, and the fact that it's like you know he. 
he can simultaneously not make all the best decisions in the world and maybe do some mean shit and also be someone who genuinely fell in love with a woman and she fell in love with him and they wanted to be together. Right. And his initial plan is not to set aside Alice Hare, like to set aside Cerise Hightower. His initial plan is like, I just get to have two wives. Right. Which is fair because it's like my dad had two wives. What's the problem? Right. Right. He's not planning like, which... Which I would think that if he really was just trying to, like, build a lineage for himself, that he would have tried to go about it the kind of, quote-unquote, the legal way, and Mm -hmm. been, like, you know, tried to do kind of some of the things that Damon did, of, like, well, you know, maybe he would try to, like, set her aside because she's barren, or, like, prove that she was unfaithful. If he's so cruel and awful, why didn't he just kill her? Right! Right, but, like, his plan was just, like, no, I just get to take a second wife. It wasn't, like, I hate my first wife, she's shitty and terrible, and I can divorce her or kill her or set her aside. It was, like, no, I just get to have a second one because my dad did. What's the problem? Exactly. Actually, Um, I think the fact that he didn't kill her is proof that he's not as evil as you think, because that's, like, the easiest kill in the world is, like, to kill your spouse and, like, Women like, historically like in real David life, did. like like David did, like and women <laughs> women are always at risk from their their husbands. Women, right. women, women get murdered. It's be, largely because their husbands do it. Mm-hmm. So it's not at all unrealistic, right? And he's like, if he's such an awful, terrible person, and she's useless to him, right? Then why why not just kill her? Why create this whole mess? Right. Yes, you because th- this all started because we were talking about the antagonism with the faith. But like mm-hmm. Magor becomes another wedge between the throne and the faith because Magor, instead of doing any number of things that would have not led to conflict with the faith, was like, no, I just get to take a second wife. Mm-hmm. And the faith's like, no, you don't. And he's like, yes, I do. I'm a Targaryen. I get to do whatever I want. Right, exactly. I'm Valerian. Try Tell and me stop what to do. Me. Like- yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that that's I mean, in terms of who gets shafted, both Cerise Hightower and Alice Haraway. Um, right, and I put Alice Haraway because, like, the maester, like, from the perspective of the way she's written about, absolutely shafted. She's called some oh. egregious, mm-hmm. like, gendered slurs. Yes. The entire, like, all of Westeros is, like, has agreed that she's, you know, the worst of the gender. Like, they throw all the gendered yeah. slurs at her because they're mm-hmm. like, oh, how dare. And, of course, she gets blamed. And that's the thing. She both... Cerise and Alice are getting blamed for Magor's decisions, for Magor's mm-hmm. behavior. He decided he wanted to take a second wife. She mm-hmm. gets blamed for being barren. And mm-hmm. Alice gets called a harlot and worse. Mm-hmm. And, like, she did nothing. Right, exactly. And some, and more worse things will happen, if I, if I recall correctly, to her. Yes. In subsequent parts with Magor. Mm-hmm. Which I think really makes it interesting if it started as a genuine love story and devolves. Yes. I think it'll uh-huh. be really interesting. But right. yeah, it's again, it's the patriarchy. It's it's these uh-huh. these women's. And then you made a really good note here about who else gets shafted. I hadn't even thought about Alyssa Valerian. Yes, I thought. What about did Alyssa Valerian? Night. What did Alyssa Valerian think? Said no one ever. Said no one ever. We like. <laughs> we know nothing about her. We know less about her than we know about Aegon the Warrior Babe. Yeah, like le- and like. He's barely a person, and Alyssa is literally just a conduit for Aenys to have babies. Yes. Like, we I know Alyssa... nothing about her. We don't even know what she looks like. Yeah. 
You're she's right. just like she was just like a 15 year old girl who married the king and then popped out a bunch of babies and that is all we know mm-hmm. and that was one of those where i was like maester gildane just could not be bothered to care about anything to do with Alyssa valarian nope uh i think we learn more about her in later portions yes. but yes. As, i mean like yeah the fact that she's been introduced and she's given birth to all these kids and we don't know anything about her yeah, at this point in the story, she we know nothing about Alyssa Valarian. She's mm-hmm. ju- she's just Aenys's wife and the mother of all of his heirs. Mm-hmm. That's all we know about her. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I want to come back around to we we talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but I feel like now is a really really good time to talk about like the theme of that's showing up with Aenys and Maegor, mm-hmm. um, about like what is power and how should power yes. be wielded. Yes. Um, and the dichotomy that Martin is setting up often between siblings of like one of them that is more martial, which mm-hmm. is one way of understanding power, and the other is less martial, but frequently more like political or courtly minded, mm-hmm. um, who cares more about the internal workings of the court, politics, um, mm-hmm. diplomacy between houses, like even the idea of like being a people pleaser and wanting people around you to be happy is a kind of power. Yeah, like, wanting to maintain. A family man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a kind of power. Um, and that's kind of so, like that's being set up here between Aenys and Magor. There's a really good like little section about this um at the bottom of page sixty-seven that is directly on point to comparing Aenys and Magor. And I'll ask you if this sounds familiar to you mm-hmm. uh, for anyone else, dear King listener. Aenys- King Aenys loved his wife, his children, and his people, and wished only to be loved in turn. Sword and lance had lost whatever appeal they ever had for him. Instead, his grace dabbled in alchemy, astrology, astronomy, delighted in music and dance, etc. His brother Maegor was fiercely strong, had no patience for any of that, but lived for war, tourneys, and battle. He was rightly regarded as one of the finest knights in Westeros, though his savagery in the field and his harshness towards defeated foes was often remarked upon as well. King Aenys sought always to please... Uh, whereas Magor's reply was ever steel and fire. Mm-hmm. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a little, little King Viserys Prince Damon. Sounds a little, yeah. little like exactly that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, like I wrote this summary of their of their dynamic. I was like an affable, friendly dude who just wants to get along and doesn't like weaponizing his power. Has a happy marriage and a daughter who seems to be in line to inherit after him. Versus an angry, violent younger brother who believes he's better than everyone because he does swords the best and is the most violent and resents not wielding power accord- as written, whether whether mm-hmm. that's true or not, um, refuses to do what he's told even when he's given the chance to participate in power. Um, mm-hmm. Aenys has to, like, Aenys literally has to exile him. Has to, like, is like... Yeah! do what i want you to do or choose exile and magor's like fine i'll choose exile i'll take my second wife and go into exile and i'm like this is the most damon shit yes or is damon doing the most magor shit i mean magor got to go right right you know technically speaking Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but yeah the the fact that Aenys is like described as being kind of like oblivious to the discontent in the realm which is another mm-hmm. thing we see with Viserys who's just like well my family's happy everything is fine mm-hmm. um the way he's described as being uh indecisive until 
He has one moment of decisiveness. One moment of decisiveness. And when it's when he refuses to bow to the faith and marries mm-hmm. his kids. And that is yep. almost exactly like Viserys has a single moment of decisiveness and is like, no, my daughter is my heir. Mm-hmm. They're both like indecisive kings who have a single moment of like, no, I'm going to do choose, what I want. What they choose ends up causing like a huge rift yes. around both of them. And Visenya, when when Aenys was betrothing Reyna and Aegon, and everyone was like, yo, we can't do that. Visenya was like, yo, listen, you got two choices, my dude. You got to either find them new partners or go burn down Old Town. And I don't know if she actually said that, but in reality, she was right. Yep. <laughs> like, the the third choice of, no, I'm just going to do it anyway, was not a viable option, as we'll see unfold later in this chapter. Uh-huh. Like, it was a bad option. Right, which is a lot like Viserys. Mm-hmm. Like, Viserys could have relented and been like, no, no, I guess Aegon gets to be my heir because everyone seems to want it. Or he mm-hmm. could have been like, yo, my daughter is the heir. And if you don't acknowledge it, um, I'm a fucking burn you. Yeah. Like, and maybe I'll burn down a couple, maybe I'll burn down a couple, like a couple of the most vocal opponents mm-hmm. of making my daughter the heir. And he could have done mm-hmm. one of those two things. And he was just like, nope, she's my heir and um, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. The problem I've said Viserys, it and I'm the king. <laughs> the problem with Viserys is that the, the fruits of his bad decision don't come to, don't bear until after his, his death. Yep. Unlike Aenys, who's around when things kind of start to mm-hmm. go awry from his right. poor, poor choices. <laughs> right. Uh, I think this is also really interesting to think about when we're talking about, like, these dichotomies, particularly this dichotomy of brothers. Uh, we have a lot of these, like, older brother who's, like, the goofy kid that wants to play in his sport, and then younger brother who's like, grr, I'm second. Uh, but what does it look like when that's switched? And right. I think that's the pr- one of the primary tensions of A Song of Ice and Fire with Joffrey and Tommen. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Tommen is the nerd and Joffrey is the jock, for, right. for lack of a better description. The two genders. The two genders, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's also really bad. Right. So, like, both things are really bad. Both, both either way does not work well right but i do think martin is doing something with second sons Mm -hmm. who feel thwarted out of power under patriarchy that like that's part of what shows up as a theme when you have all of these angry violent second sons Mm -hmm. um because very often they um like we saw with with damon um like we see here with magor i think we see it with stannis and Robert Baratheon. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Especially with, like, the third son thrown in the mix mm-hmm. there. And, like, the way, yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, that all of these, like, second sons who are, they are all, like, outwardly exactly what patriarchal feudalism expects them to be. They're martial. They're good, mm-hmm. like, they're good at battle. They're good at tourneys. They're good at tactics. Like, they're good at all of the, like, quote-unquote manly things that patriarchal feudalism says, well, this is the pinnacle of manhood. This is what manhood should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes up in this section with Magor. Like, the way that this, that, that Archmaester Gildane talks about him is, like, very, like, effusively praiseworthy about, like, mm-hmm. his martialness, the fact that he's so masculine, he's good with a sword, like... 
he is exactly what his society expects the peak of manhood to be, but he does not have any power. Right. And under patriarchy, that has got to be one of the most galling experiences as a man. To be like, I have mm -hmm. everything that my society says that the best man should be. And I am like inches away from power, inches away from the kind mm -hmm. of power that I am told that I deserve for being this mm -hmm. kind of man. But I am thwarted by this man that does not have any of the outward right. depictions of power that this I have. This man who's not doing any of this shit. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Well, um, I mean, what do you think about the fact that like, on several occasions, Aeneas tries to like bring Magor into the fold. Mm -hmm. Like when, like when Aeneas is, is coronated, but for example, when he's crowned, he everyone like kneels to him, but he like pulls Magor up to stand, and he's like, "No, no, we're like we're ruling together," mm -hmm. you know. And I think Magor's is Magor a hand at some points in yes. time. Yes, mm -hmm. you know, so he's like trying to like include Damon. him, like David. Exactly, mm -hmm. he's trying. You know, Aeneas is trying to include him, right. but Magor never like really embraces that yeah and i wonder if that isn't because of the, exactly what you said like Magor's like basically i'm working for my brother mm -hmm. but my brother should really be working for me because i'm i'm the one that should be like i'm the one that is the true man right i am the i'm the i'm the man that like i'm what you need as a king not mm -hmm. him not in an evil cruel i'm trying to usurp you kind of way but in a right. practical like this is what the patriarchy has taught me Right. I am fulfilling it and you are not, but somehow you get to do this. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. That sounds like, it sounds exactly like Alison. Alison. Yes. I was just thinking that. Yes. Yes. It's the exact same thing. It's like, yes. it's like I am, I am doing everything I'm supposed to do. Right. That, the, that I have been given in these rules and you are benefiting yep. from this system when you aren't doing any of the things you're supposed yep. to do. And that kind of resentment. I, maybe that's kind of what's going on, too. It's like there's this, like, he can do anything he wants. I want to take a second wife. You know, oh, well, he, he can do anything he wants over here. He doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be martial. He doesn't have to be good at battles, any of this crap. I go and put down the rebellion in the veil because mm -hmm. he's too scared to fly in on his dragon. Right. I do all this shit. And Megor also was involved in some fighting in the step zones, actually. I don't know if you caught yeah. that. Yeah. That's <laughs> Megor right. did some, some he, he got his experience in the step stones. It's like uh -huh. the place Targaryens go to learn how to fight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's like, he does do all this stuff. And I don't, I get nothing from this. I get squat right. from all this. Right. I don't even get and, to take a second wife. Right. Exactly. Like he's marrying his kids off and everyone's freaking out because I'm, I'm taking a second wife. Like, uh-huh. Literally, my dad had two wives. What, what's the problem? Right, right. Yeah, I could see that resentment building, and I wonder if that's kind of a similar arc to, like, what Alison Hightower is having in House mm -hmm. of the Dragon. Right. Where it's, it's like, a friendship or kinship that devolves because of the patriarchy. Right, yeah, because of the yeah. way resentment builds when one of, when one of the, the people is, quote-unquote, following all the rules, is doing everything that patriarchy mm -hmm. expects of them, and is thwarted at every turn from receiving the things that they expect to receive under patriarchy. Right. Yeah, I told it that makes absolute sense with me to me. Um, and I think, like, makes Magor a much more nuanced character, that he's not just, mm -hmm. like, like, an evil, scheming, plotting, you know, mustache-twirling villain just waiting to <laughs> usurp his, his older brother, who's a dork, mm -hmm. but is, like, someone who is 
doing the best he can to fulfill what society expects of him and is being met with resistance despite Mm -hmm. in his own mind achieving everything that is expected of him and i wonder too what kind of what kind of influence visenya had in all this because visenya i imagine had a lot of opinions about the patriarchy because in some ways she existed outside of it Mm -hmm. um but in some ways she was controlled by it Right. Because when Aegon dies, she doesn't take over. Mm-hmm. Anus does. Yep. Even though she's been running the kingdom this whole time, she was her doing it. Uh-huh. He's the one that gets crowned. And I'm sure she would express these kind of things to Maegor. Yep. So here he is trying to fulfill what the patriarchy put forward to get a result. Is yeah. also being, in some ways, shafted by the narrative. Uh, you know, is also being really shafted by patriarchy is being, you know, denied this power. And he saw this happen to his mom. He saw the same thing happen to his mom. And she's smart. They undoubtedly talked about these kind of things. They had a relationship. So I could definitely see that being part of it as well. Okay, so here's an... I love that. I love that. And my brain is doing a, like... What if a part of Visenya's psychology was an attempt, or, like, part of what she's doing was a way that women try to gain credibility under patriarchy is like, well, if this is, if these are the behaviors that are expected of men, mm-hmm. if I perform them, maybe perhaps I will be taken as seriously mm-hmm. as the men are. Mm-hmm. And I could see that getting passed down to Maywar as like, mm-hmm. okay, son, you can succeed where I did not. Mm-hmm. Like I tried to perform the expected behaviors and turns out I was limited by my gender and mm-hmm. I could only get so far because un- in Westeros, you can only get so far as a woman, even if you perform masculinity. masculinity. Right. That like what they want is the performance of masculinity. And Visenya, because she's a woman, could only get so far and is like, okay, maybe son, you can succeed where I could not. Maybe right. you exactly. can perform masculinity and succeed where I was limited by my gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and she doesn't even have to directly tell him that for Maker to have absorbed that mentality of like, Absolutely. maybe if I perform mm-hmm. masculinity enough, I can succeed in a way that like my mother was thwarted out of power mm-hmm. by being a woman. Because you're right. Like when when Robert Baratheon died, if he had died with no legitimate, you know, if he had actually died with no legitimate heirs, which he did, but like... If you are a king who dies, it is not uncommon to have your older brother rule. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily always your son. Sometimes you can have your older brother rule instead. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no way that Visenya could have done that because she's an older sister. Right. Exactly. Even though, again, like, in all practicality, she was ruling. Yes. She was ruling. She was the... Westeros had a queen. It was Visenya. She was ruling when Aegon right. was We older. know that Aegon was just hanging out in his egg and fort right. and going on parades. So who's in charge? Visenya. Exactly. The whole time. The whole time it was happening. I And then what's so interesting about Maegor is that he's thinking... Again, you're consciously or subconsciously, he's going to perform this... Um, this masculinity and this in this Westerosi kind of masculinity. Not saying all masculinity is like this, but this like patriarchal masculinity. Mm-hmm. And he's thwarted by being second, right? He's thwarted. He's also thwarted by the system in a different way, but in it, so that has nothing to do with actual merit. Mm-hmm. But it has to just do with chance. 
Right. Visenya was thwarted by the chance of her sex at birth. Magor is thwarted by the, the chance of being born second. Right. It has nothing to do with what you've earned or your merit or your capabilities. Mm-hmm. And that is so frustrating. Yes. To be like, I am doing what I am supposed to do. And no one is giving me credit for this. I'm getting nowhere for this. And or other people are taking credit for it. Mm-hmm. You know? So I can see that being so disheartening and so difficult. And definitely the kind of resentment and feeling that could drive two brothers apart. Right. And the kind of the first brother would totally not understand. No, he wouldn't get it. He'd be that, like... He's like, what's the problem? Your hand. I don't get it. <laughs> right. Why do you want more than that? Why Why are you unhappy with the position? Like, I'm letting you rule with me. Right. Exactly. I appreciate you. I'm going to get you pizza this Friday because I appreciate you very much. Right. But it like, is exactly that kind of oblivious entitlement that would be mm-hmm. so galling for someone who's trying so hard. Exactly. To be like, I don't get it. I'm letting you, I'm letting you help me. But it's the like, right. But you are let. It's the fact that you frame it as you're letting me help you, right? That is so frustrating, um, exactly. and I think might lead as I think because I think that this is also probably true of Damon. Mm-hmm. That Damon would very likely feel the same way as yes. as we're conceptualizing Megor might for very similar reasons. Very yeah, because absolutely the whole dynamic is the same. Mm-hmm. That like, I could also see it leading to a kind of overperformance of masculinity. Yes. Which I think we are also seeing with Damon and Magor. That's where you I think gotta, that that, the root you gotta of get out thing, of my you gotta get out of my head because I was just thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> Cause I'm thinking, like, okay, so we have Magor, you know, who's gonna become Magor the Cruel, uh-huh. which I hope we all kinda know by now. Um, and we have Damon, who we see has like bad character traits, mm-hmm. but we see Damon as an adult. How much of those character traits were like their natural selves and how much of that was the fact that they grew up in this position yes you know and that this was all they always were second right and they could never do anything to get higher than that they could never do enough right to to succeed beyond that right you know right that if your standard for like masculinity is like aggressive violence right Mm -hmm. which is what we're talking about it's about tourneys it's about war it's about martial prowess that like at some point, you can see an overcorrection to be like, look, I am doing the best violence. I'm doing the most mm-hmm. violence. I am doing the most man. Look at how many women I'm sleeping with. Right. Look, I'm in the brothel all the time. I am such a lusty husband when I'm 13. I big dragon. Right. You know, like, right. I'll I, chop people's hands off for small infractions. Look how effective mm-hmm. and good of a ruler I am because I'm using all of my, like, martial prowess in that way. That, like, how much of this kind of cruelty mm-hmm. that is that is ascribed to both Damon and Magor is actually just an overperformance of masculinity. Yeah, look at my cool sword. Yeah. Look at my cool sword dark sister. They both have dark sister and they both eventually get blackfire. I can't remember where blackfire is for Damon, but like Magor definitely Damon. gets blackfire. Magor gets both. He, he gets, gets both. both dark sister and blackfire, yeah. Right. And I know Damon has dark sister. He does. Uh but yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think it's it's like an overcorrection that, and maybe that's why there's a pattern here because mm-hmm. that's a, a a nurture, not nature kind of thing. Right. Right. It's it's the fact of being put in that position, you know, between that rock and hard place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, you know, you think about things like Joffrey and Tommen, 
Joffrey and Tommen seems to be maybe more of a nurture thing. I'm yeah. rather sorry, a nature thing. Yeah. Um, but Tommen's also very young, so he's he hasn't actually been through the ringer yet of right. patriarchy. He's like eight in the story. Right, and seems like he was also kind of neglected and just kind of left to grow up as mm-hmm. his own self and didn't have a lot of expectations on him. Yeah. Because um, Cersei's not really that involved in a mom with, with no. either of the two younger kids. And neither is Robert Baratheon. No. Robert's like barely knows his kids a lot. But we, do, okay, so we do know about Joffrey. One thing we do know about Joffrey, I think that one could make a pretty strong case that if he is overperforming masculinity, it's to impress his dad. That's true. Because think about his dad is like the guy that conquered, like, took over the whole kingdom. That yeah. is true. Right. Yeah. And we also know that Robert was like super neglectful as a parent, like did not care. Mm-hmm. about any of his kids was really deeply was like deeply uninvolved and mm-hmm. isn't it true that like that um joffrey like takes that like that story about how he like cuts open the cat to see the kittens doesn't he like take him to his dad i don't remember but i feel like there's something where like i got the sense of like oh joffrey's trying to impress his big strong warrior dad he definitely does he like, wants to hunt for example yes like he's always trying to hunt and failing at it uh he's he's like yeah he's absolutely always trying to impress his big strong warrior dad right and so if if we're we're getting some kind mm -hmm. of overperformance of masculinity from joffrey it's not because he resents being close to power but not having it it's because he is looking to his father and the way that everyone talks about robert and going Mm -hmm. well how do i be that so my dad will notice me yeah that's like yeah that's sort of a different reason it doesn't fit like our parallels with these brothers and stuff. That's like a different reason to do the same thing. It's a different reason to overperform masculinity. Right. In this, uh, in the same way that yeah. Jamie kind of after Tywin dies is like, okay, now I have to be Tywin. I have to be, Ty- I have to be the most Tywin. Oh, and I'm like, buddy, you're no. not Tywin though. <laughs> Jamie, don't, you don't have to be Tywin, sweetie. You don't Just have be to Jamie. Launch, you don't have to launch the baby in a trebuchet. No, you don't have to launch the baby. Even if it's a warrior babe, you don't need to launch it in the trebuchet. No. It's fine. No, and this is where we're starting to see that the like the corollary to like like it's part of that theme that you brought up at the very beginning of like when patriarchy patriarchy is bad for everyone. Like women like yeah. when it is detrimental to like the most vulnerable, it is also detrimental to everyone. And we're starting to see, I think, that like mm-hmm. here is how it is bad for men. Yes. And here's how it is bad for men in the highest positions of power, men with the yes. most privilege. I mean, we're talking Magor, Prince of Dragonstone, Rider of Beleriand, Wilder of Dark Sister. I mean, all your shit that you got. And still, mm-hmm. still suffering under it. Right. And emotionally suffering from under it, mentally suffering from it. And as we'll see later on, spreading that suffering, you know, that it's the more you, you use patriarchy to disempower people. Mm-hmm. everyone around you becomes disempowered everyone is weaker right right um and the corollary of like we, we i mean we can touch on this really really briefly if people want to read more about how i think about it i wrote a piece about um i wrote a couple of pieces about house of the dragon um and i believe it was in the second one where i talked about power it was either in the first one or the second one but they're on the fundamentals they will be linked on mm-hmm. when when this gets released on the fundamentals.com they will be linked um okay where I talked about, um, like, the way that it's, the way that House of the Dragon is talking about power, like, either it can be weaponized in this cruel, oppressive way, in a way that does damage to the kingdom, but it is equally also a problem to 
not use power at all when you have it and pretend mm. like you don't actually have power and authority um that that is the you know if there is a weakness that Viserys and Aenys have as a king I think it is that they would like to pretend that they are not in fact the king of Westeros that they right exactly oh yes yes they like, want to play with their many things in their fort yeah right and and just like have their family and you know just have their family love them and they love their wife and their kids and they're like everything is going to be fine and I'm like Look, I don't believe in a monarchy, but if you're mm-hmm. going to be a monarch, you can't just pretend you're not a monarch. Right, exactly. No, I mean, that that's kind of like we've talked before about um, liberatory violence. Yes. And the fact that you can, there are times when, yeah, you have to, uh, what's it, crack some eggs to make that omelet, I think was mm-hmm. the phrase that we had. Uh, you know, you, sometimes you have to do violent things to save people. Right. And to, and to you know, do the best for people's liberty. Yeah, absolutely. Right. If you actually care about protecting your family, maybe you do have to have a display of force to the faith if you really mm-hmm. want to protect your kids from the attacks. If you really want to um, protect the women in your kingdom from mm-hmm. violence, you might have to pull a hair in the red. Right, exactly. Like- you, might have to guilt, you might have to guilt some reapers. Yep, that might be a good thing to do. Uh, exactly right and and i think that hair in the red is a really good example in this section of liberatory violence that mm-hmm. like at the end of the day hair in the red gelded a rapist mm-hmm. um and while the king had done nothing about it did nothing did nothing Hades <laughs> had done nothing about it and i'm sure he probably heard about it when you when you have a lord that has a nickname like that like you're gonna hear mm-hmm. about it yeah. There's no way that Aenys didn't know that this was happening, and he did nothing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the Targaryens for a long time did nothing about right in the first night. Yes. I mean, we'll get to that eventually. It's uh, Queen Alicent who eventually ends it because she listens She listens to women. Mm-hmm. So weird. And they don't like it. So weird. So weird. <laughs> so weird. I don't know what that means. Yeah. I I I think that that kind of wraps up what we had to say about yeah. all this. We did a lot of theme work on this time. Yeah, I like it. I think we're making some good progress. Yeah. definitely through this. So, are you ready to sign off? Yeah. So, um, everybody, until next time, remember, incest is still bad, even if you ask nicely. <laughs> and also remember, it's not actually sex if two women are doing it. It's just sparkling sleepovers. <laughs> All right, guys, we will talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Uh, so last time we taught, we taught, you told me a dream that you had. I had a dream last night about fire and blood. <laughs> yes, we love to see it. <laughs> Because my brain is very weird. So um, I dreamed that I was Alyssa Valarian. Okay, and, do we know more about her now? <laughs> uh, and was pregnant with Aegon. I don't think that my dream tells us any more about her, but I was pregnant with Aegon. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like a scene that was kind of like fire and blood when like um, Emma is pregnant. But like I like literally had a dream where I gave birth to like a very robust looking baby. <laughs> Um, and like Visenya was there looking stern and being like, it's a baby boy out there and was like angry about it. And like, 
Um, Aenys was there, but he looked a lot like Viserys from the show. <laughs> um, and was just being like really doofy and was like, oh, there's a baby. And like, it's a warrior babe. The warrior babe. Um, the weirdest part was like, I mean, this is this whole dream was really weird, but my brain decided that this is a very tiny detail and it's, I guess, kind of weird and maybe kind of gross, but like, that with after baby Aegon, like this, like large baby, I'm not even joking. Like, I gave birth to a baby who looked like a three month old. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and I literally just like pinched the umbilical cord. <laughs> Didn't have to cut it. Didn't have to do anything. I just pinched it, and it was and it was done. Um, and I can't remember where it went from there. But that, but I woke up fairly soon after. But like I was, I woke up and was like, I'm reading a lot of fire and blood. I Maybe I'm getting too into this. Maybe text. I'm getting too into it. And my, I just love that my brain inserted characters from, from House of the Dragon, especially because they're very similar. Yes. That my brain was like, oh, Aenys. That's Viserys. We'll just put Viserys, Viserys in there. They are really similar, though. I love that you had that dream, though. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. 